Well, good morning, everybody. It's a fun and unique and different kind of day. Might want to flip my Bible right side up because then we'll have a really hard time getting into the Word today. No, it's exciting to be together um, as a church family, especially on this all-in family service. And you just embrace it for what it is. It's a little more distracting. It's a little more wiggly. It's a little more noisy. And you just get okay with that. You know, in the early church in the first century, this is what it was like. The kids were with the parents all the time when they were gathering together to worship and stuff. And so this is something we can do every now and then. And uh, similarly, you know, since I am aware that we have all of our kiddos in here a few things differently today, one, I'm going to make sure even as we're talking about the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and all that, I'm going to keep it G-rated. And uh, normally I will preach for about 40-ish minutes today since the kids are in here. I'm going to preach for about an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, somewhere in there, we'll see how the attention span, I'm kidding. And, uh, yeah, uh, now, kiddos, there are going to be some points, boys and girls, where I'm going to ask you to yell out some things back at me, where you can interact with me and talk to me. And there will be some points where I say, okay, let's be quiet and listen. So it's going to be a fun time together, and hopefully it's been a special time. I don't know if you guys... I wish you could have seen I was down with my daughters, but seeing what I saw and, and hear all the kids, especially during um, the song about, thank you, Gino, the song of uh, how, what was the third song, Gino, that we did? The um, Goodness of God. All the boys and girls, they know that song really well and singing it loud and proud. Um, it's such an awesome and beautiful thing to see. One thing I want to do really quick before we go any further I know tomorrow, many of us have a lot of fun things planned. There's a lot of barbecues that'll be going on, people swimming and playing and having fun, and that's all good. But we also want to be mindful and remember that Memorial Day isn't just barbecue day, that there are families who are going to be mourning again, remembering the loss of a loved one and their family who was lost in service to uh, for, for our freedom and for our country. And so can we just take a moment to pray for the families who are going to be experiencing mourning tomorrow when so many of us will be having fun? God, we pray tomorrow for every family who experienced and is experiencing the pain of having paid that high sacrifice of having a loved one that lost their life in service to our country. God, we pray that your word would prove true in their lives, that you would be the ever-present help in time of need, that you would be near to the brokenhearted. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be the comforter that your word says that you are. We ask that you would give the peace that passes understanding, and especially, Lord, as there is mortality in, in our faces on a day like that. God, I ask that you would turn hearts towards eternity, draw people to you, Jesus, and bring people to saving faith. God, we ask that you would be near and close and, and, and powerful in the lives of those who might be mourning loss tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, boys and girls, here's the deal. Before we get into the word, I figured it's important for all of us. Oh, and, and let me just say, I know most of you were probably here at the beginning of service and are aware that this is a different type of service. This isn't our normal Sunday. Usually all the kids are in the kids' wing, and we've got adults in here alone uh, but we're doing an all-in family service with all the kids, and that's why we're making all these adjustments. So if you randomly came here on this random Sunday, this is not what it's normally like. 
but we're thankful for an opportunity for uh, us to show that we prioritize and care about family ministry in our church family. Having said all that, kiddos, before we go any further, I think it's important that we all know each other. So on the count of three, I need you to shout your name as loud as you can, all right? On the count of three, let me hear your name. One, two, three. Wow, what a beautiful name. I love it. Your parents did such a good job in naming you. Just gorgeous. How wow. Now, as you can see on the screen today, the title of our message is Super Powerful. And if you're talking about super powerful, of course, that sounds a lot like superpowers, which makes me think of superheroes. Are there anybody, is there anybody in the house today who likes superheroes? You can raise your hand. I see a few hands. There's no age limit on the question either. All right, cool, cool, cool. So I want to know really quick, of course, we just shouted out our names, but now I want to know, on the count of three, I want you to shout out the name of your favorite superhero, okay? On the count of three, one, two, three. Oh, that's my favorite too. I love that one, the way that they do that thing with their outfit and all that. Oh, superheroes are so cool, aren't they? Like, especially boys and girls, we like superheroes. But what is it that makes them so cool? Is it their cool names like Iron Man or Black Widow or Wonder Woman or, or Frodo or, no, not so much superhero there. In fact, all the kids are like, wait, I was following you. And then you said, Frodo, what is that? Yeah, I love Frodo personally, but he's probably not called a superhero. Is it their names that makes them cool? Not so much. I mean, that is cool. Maybe you got it, Jojo. You're beating me to the punch. It's not even potentially their spandex. All the parents see the superheroes in their spandex and are like, I should totally never wear that. Probably maybe some of you are super fit and you're like, yeah, I could wear that and pull it off. More power to you. But as, as Jojo alluded to, what is it that makes superpower or superheroes so awesome? Is their superpowers. All these things that they can do that we can't do. In fact, I'm not going to do a count of three on this one. I want you to think for a second. If you could pick any superpower to have, in just a moment, I'm going to let you shout it out. And we're not going to do the count of three because I'm really interested to hear some of your answers, okay? If you could pick any superpower, what would you pick? Shout it out. Invisibility. That's pretty cool. What else? Invisible again. Shape-shifting. What's that? Frozen, like shooting ice out of your hands. That'd be pretty cool. Super strong, like daddy, right? Yeah, forever. Daddy's super strong, that's right, compared to you. Cool, okay, now let's be quiet again for a minute. Yeah, those are a lot of cool things. If I could pick any superpower that I would want, I would give myself the ability to touch any food and make it as healthy as like kale and greens. Because then I could be like donut, nice, and I could eat nothing but Flaming Hot Cheetos and drink Mountain Dew all day and never gain any weight and trim up and all that. Okay, okay, okay. That's a pretty lame superpower compared to all the ones that you guys said. So this last week, your parents have been reading in the Bible 
out of the book of 1 Kings, mostly about a man named Elijah. Now, in case you didn't know it, we're in this Bible reading plan as a church family. If you're new here, we're reading through the Bible, and then we're talking about what we read on Sunday. So, boys and girls, here's what you need to do to help your parents every day. You need to say, Mom, Dad, did you read your Bible today? And I'm sure they're going to say, yes, we did. Parents love me right now. We're trying to help each other and encourage each other to stay faithful to the Word of God. But they've been reading about this man named Elijah who did some pretty epic and powerful stuff. Not quite superpowers, but pretty cool and pretty powerful. So we're going to open our Bibles real quick to the book of 1 Kings. And we're going to read about all these cool things that Elijah did. And then we're going to talk about what God wanted us to learn from these things that Elijah did. Now, before we read in our Bibles, I'm going to lay a little backstory, a little groundwork for you. There was a king over Israel at this point of the story named Ahab. Now, Ahab was a really bad king. In fact, boys and girls, any time today that you hear me say the name Ahab, I want you to just go, boo. Can we hear it? Okay, here, let's try it out. There was a king named Ahab. Yeah. Great job. Give yourselves a hand clap. That was nice. So before King Ahab, yeah, you see I caught you off guard with that one. The, the first king of Israel was a man named Saul, not a very good king. Then how many of you guys have heard of King David? Let me see your hands. Yeah, King David was a great king. He was the greatest king of Israel. He did make some mistakes. He did a couple of bad things. But when he did those bad things, we should learn from what he did. He repented and he asked God to forgive him of his sins. That's what we should do when we make mistakes is ask God forgive us. And so we've got the great King David. And then he had his son, King Solomon, who started out as a really good king. But then it ended up really bad. And then his son was a bad king, and so on for several generations. There was bad king after bad king, and they kept getting worse and worse until we got to King Ahab. Nice. Who was a really bad king. And so we find ourselves where there's this prophet Elijah, who's a man of God. He's a good guy that God sends to eventually confront this King Ahab and, and tell him, hey, this is not okay, the stuff you're doing. King Ahab had, nice, I wasn't even ready for it that time. Now I've got to choose my words wisely so we can keep the clock moving there. Okay, great job, boys and girls. And so uh, Elijah has to go to the king. Ah, nice, I didn't say his name, good job. He has to go and tell him that God's not okay with the sins that he's committing and the way that he's leading the nation. Well, what was he doing? He was worshiping gods other than the Israel God, Yahweh. He was not only worshiping other gods, but he was building places of worship to these other gods, especially uh, one that was named Baal. See, he was doing some bad things that God was not okay with. So what happens here? Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. It says this. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, Yes, great job. 
As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So the prophet Elijah stands before King Ahab. Nice. And he says to him, listen, there's not going to be rain in the land until I say so. He's basically telling him, you don't need to turn on the evening news to find out what the meteorologist is saying about the forecast. You don't need to look on the app on your phone. I'm telling you, it's not going to rain until I say so under the authority of God. As a prophet of God, he spoke to the people for God. Now, why did this happen? Again, it was because King Ahab, you guys are awesome, because this evil king was leading the people into sin, and the people of Israel were following him. In fact, not only was this, this guy wasn't just a little bad. He was really bad. In fact, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 16, the last chapter in verse 30, talking about King Ahab. It said this, and Ahab, good job, the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It kept getting worse and worse up until this guy was just baddest of the bad. And so because of that, God tells the prophet Elijah that he's going to send a famine into the land to punish this king and the people who had turned from serving God. And so that's why this was going on. So this is the reason that God had the prophet Elijah declare that there would be no more rain because as much as we would like to be able to turn off the rain, how about this? As we're talking about superpowers, that'd be a pretty cool superpower, right? If you could just like snap your fingers and make the rain stop. Like think about that time that you wanted to go to your soccer game or go play at the beach or do whatever outside and then a storm came and you're like, oh, I got to stay inside. It'd be pretty cool to be able to go, no more rain. And so Elijah declared that the rain would stop until he said so. And this was really bad news for the land because it meant that their crops weren't going to grow, that their animals were going to get weaker and shrivel up. This was bad for them. And it was punishment for their sin. So because this incredibly evil king named Ahab and the way the nation followed him and his evil actions, God's patience with them was wearing thin and he had to punish them. So what's something we want to learn from this? We want to learn that God wants to be God in our lives. See that up on the screen, boys and girls? God wants to be God in our lives. Now, let's have a little competition this morning. Since we've got the boys and girls with us, we're going to split the room right down the middle. You guys are team South Side, and you guys are team North Side. We're not saying South and North Sheboygan. That's just South Side and North Side of the room. So South Side, here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, as loud as you can, you got to try and be louder than the North Side. You got to say, God wants to be God in our lives. Are you ready? Oh, I don't think the South Side's ready. I said, South Side, are you ready? Okay. On the count of three, we're going to say, God wants to be God in our lives. Ready? One, two, three. Ooh, that was pretty good. But, Northside, do you think you can answer? It's a little thinner over here. So, you guys are really going to have to put some gumption behind you. Parents, you're more than welcome to help out. All right, on the count of three, God wants to be God in our lives. Let me hear you. One, two, three. Hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Okay, now, 
All together, as one church family, let's all shout it out. One, two, three. That's right. God wants to be God. He told the people of Israel hundreds of years before that you're not going to have any other gods other than me because those gods are fake. They're made up. They're not even real. He's telling them, I'm the real God, the one true God, and you're to worship and serve me only. And so he's saying, God wants to be God in our lives, not Baal, not Asheroth or some other God, not our Xboxes or Playstations, not our sports, not our hobbies, not our toys. God wants to be first. God wants to be most important. God wants our schedules to revolve around him. He wants to be God in our lives. Now, another really powerful thing that happened in Elijah's life was that God told him amidst this famine where the, there wasn't a lot of food, there wasn't a lot of water, God told him to go live by a brook, like by a creek of water. And while he was there, God sent ravens every day to feed him and take care of him. We're not talking about Lamar Jackson coming and delivering him food by DoorDash. No, no football fans in the house. Okay. Totally lame joke that I should have left at home. All right. These blackbirds would come in the morning and in the evening bringing him meat and, and bread and they would feed him, which again, sounds like a pretty cool superpower. Like, wouldn't you like to be able to like summon birds with breakfast and lunch, open the windows and be like, Robin, I'll have some bacon because of course that's what we should have in the New Testament. And so these ravens brought food. I'm glad I'm getting a couple of sympathy chuckles out there. Should just stop trying. They brought him breakfast and they brought him dinner every day. And so God took care of them. God takes care of those who are faithful to him. We see this from the story that even though it was famine and even though food was sparse, Elijah, who was faithful to God and obedient to God, God took care of him and he was faithful to him. Then there, another cool thing happened, I guess you could say cool, some more powerful things happened in Elijah's life, where Elijah, the brook that he was living by, dried up, where there was no more water. So God talks to Elijah and tells him, hey, I want you to go to this foreign city named Zarephath. You're going to go there and find a widow, and I'm going to command this widow to feed you. So again, God's going to take care of Elijah. So he goes to Zarephath. And he finds this widow, and he sees her collecting sticks. And he tells her, ma'am, could you please give me some water? And so as she's going to get some water for Elijah, she comes and he says to her, oh, also, I want you to prepare some food for me. And it's a famine, guys. There's not a lot of food in the land. And so she says to Elijah, basically, she says, sir, excuse me, listen, um, I only have enough food to feed myself one last time, my son one last time, and then we were just going to die, I guess. And Elijah tells her, obey the man of God and see what happens. That's my paraphrase. And so she obeys. She takes her last little bit of grain and her last little bit of oil, and she prepares a meal for him, and she feeds him obeying the word of God from the man of God. And what happens? She's also somehow miraculously got enough to feed herself and to feed her son. 
And then time went on and she fed them, fed all three of them again. And again and again, miraculously, that tiny bit of food was multiplied into enough to be able to sustain them for a long time. Now you talk about another pretty cool superpower. Can you imagine you're hanging out with your friends, eating french fries, and your friend gets to that last french fry, which is a terrible tragedy. And they've got that last french fry, and they're going, oh, no, I'm out of french fries. I wish I had some more. What if you could be like, why don't you look in that bag again? And they're like, what are you talking? It's another french fry. And you're like, I'm not done. One more's in there. And then they could be like, are you kidding me? And then you're like, check it out again. What if you could just perpetually cause food to keep coming back? That'd be pretty awesome. And so that's what was happening in this situation. But boys and girls, that's not the only thing that happened. Because from that, we see that God takes care of those who are faithful to him. But this bad thing happened. The boy, the son of this widow, then became really sick. How sick, you say? He got really, really sick to the point where he, he died. This widow's son, after she had taken care of Elijah, and after they'd seen this miraculous power, this boy gets really sick and he dies. And of course, the mother, this widow, she starts frustratedly venting to Elijah, saying, how could you let this happen? Why, why did you let this happen? And Elijah, he's distraught. And he takes this little boy upstairs and he lays on him three times and prays for him. Three times he lays on him and prays and asks God, God, would you bring life back into this boy? And he lays on him again, God, please, would you bring life back into this boy? A third time he prays, God, please bring life back into this boy. And by the miraculous power of God, this boy who was dead comes back to life. And let's look in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 23 and 24. 1 Kings chapter 17, 23 and 24 says this, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Because Elijah had brought her son back to life by the power of God. She said, I really know you're a man of God now and I know that the word of God in your mouth is true. See, we see that trusting the word of God brings life. Trusting the word of God brings life. This is beyond any superpower we've talked about so far. I mean, let's be real, boys and girls. Being invisible, as I heard over here, that'd be pretty awesome. Being able to fly or shapeshift or have super strength would be pretty awesome. But the ability to bring people back from the dead is more powerful than all the stuff we've talked about. So after all of this happens, and after this woman has had this realization that this Elijah really is the man of God with the word of God in his mouth, God then tells Elijah something. He says, I need you to go confront King Ahab. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, some of you were sleeping a little bit. 
He tells Elijah, I need you to go confront King Ahab. There we go. After this, he tells him, I want you to go to him and confront his sin and call the people back to worshiping the one true God. So Elijah goes before King Ahab and he tells him his sin's not okay. And he says, I want you to gather all the people and I want you to gather all the false prophets, these prophets of Baal and of Asheroth, these, all these numbers of prophets, like 450 prophets. And he says, I want you to meet all of us together at Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a little contest to see whose God really is God. Is it the God of Israel, or is it the God Baal? And so let's look now at 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start reading in verse 20. So Ahab... Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to read that again, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limp or go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him even a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two people, or let two bulls be given to us and let him choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. I guess this is the ancient Hebrew way of saying, sounds like a plan. So boys and girls, what happens here is Elijah says, you guys take a bull offering and set it on the altar and call out to your God and ask him to set it on fire. And I'm going to set a bull on my altar and I'm going to call out to the Lord God, the God of Israel, And I'm going to ask him to set it on fire. And whosoever God answers is the real God. And so the people are like, all right, let's do this. So let's keep on reading. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one one bowl and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. Why do you guys think that there was no voice? Why do you think that no one answered? I heard it. I heard it. Because Baal is not real. He was a fake, made-up God. And so even though they're sitting there saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal. No fire came. Because Baal is not even real. And then it says, but there was no voice, no one answered, and they limped around the altar, uh, limped around the altar that they had made. Verse 27, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. Elijah starts making fun of them because he knows their God's not real, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. He's making fun of their God, saying, maybe Baal's on a potty break. He's saying, maybe Baal went to the potty. He goes on there and he says, or he is on a journey. Maybe Baal went on a road trip. Or he keeps on making fun of them and he says, 
or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Maybe your God, Baal, knows it's nap time. And so he's making fun of Baal. Verse 28, and they cried aloud and they hurt themselves. They started going, oh, they started hurting themselves to try and get Baal's attention. But lo and behold, of course, Baal did not answer. Why? Because he's not even real. And so let's go ahead now to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar around it as great as the wood contains two seas of seed. So he dug a trench around the altar. And he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench as with water. Boys and girls, if you wanted something to set on fire... Do you think pouring water all over it is a good idea? No, why? Because if you want to put out a fire, what do you do? You pour water on it. Water and fire don't mix. So why is Elijah doing this? Elijah completely soaks the altar because he wants it to be proven that God is not only able to answer with fire, but God is so powerful that this altar that is completely soaked with water would be consumed by the fire of the one true God. Verse 36 says this, And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Boys and girls, it was proven that day that Baal was no God. That the Lord God, the God of Israel, was the one true God. Because he answered with fire. Not only did he answer with fire, but he answered so strongly that every drop of water from dousing the altar in water three times was completely evaporated and soaked up. And the altar was consumed by the power of the Almighty God. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? Pretty awesome, pretty amazing. So, after this, and the people turned back to God and repented of their sin, that three-year famine with no rain, God finally sends rain back to the land through the mouth of the prophet Elijah. He said that rain was coming, and rain came. And so I want to ask you, boys and girls, a question right now. And this story that we just talked about and read, who is the superhero in this story? 
I heard a few different answers. I heard some Elijah, and I totally understand why you would say that. But actually, the real superhero of the story is God. You know why? Do you remember at the very start of the story, when Elijah said that it wasn't going to rain, he said, by the authority or by the power of God, he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. So he wasn't standing in front of the people saying, because I have weather superpowers, it's not going to rain. He said, as sure as the Lord God, it won't rain. Do you remember how God told Elijah, I have commanded the ravens to feed you? See, Elijah didn't have some animal whisperer superpower. He wasn't like little Antonio and Encanto or whatever his name was, where he could talk to the animals. God said, I have commanded the ravens to take care of you. Beyond that, do you remember when he went to Zarephath, to this widow's house, God told Elijah, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Do you remember when he was praying for the son that had died, that life would come back into his body? He didn't say, because I am so powerful, I'm going to bring this boy back to life. No, he took the boy upstairs and he prayed and he cried out to God over and over saying, God, please bring life back into this boy. And of course, when they were on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal and even King Ahab, in front of everyone, he made a public display of the power of God by crying out to God and saying, God, show everyone today that you are the true God. So the hero of the story is not Elijah. He was good. He was faithful to God. He obeyed God. But the true hero of the story is God himself. Now there is a man who did very similar works. We're almost done. Just one or two more minutes. There is a man who did similar works to Elijah, but even greater. And I'm not talking about Elisha, his apprentice who came after him. Do you guys know who in the Bible did the greatest, most powerful things ever? Do you know his name? God, Jesus, one and the same. Yes, Jesus is the true and greater, uh, most powerful man there ever was. See, Elijah, let's compare them a little bit. Elijah commanded the rain to stop for three years because he was a prophet speaking on behalf of God. Do you remember, boys and girls, when Jesus was on the boat in the middle of a storm and he stands up and he says, peace be still. And the wind and the waves, the storm stopped. See, Elijah did it as a prophet, a man of God. Jesus did it as God in the flesh. So much so that his disciples, his friends who were with him, when Jesus told the storm to stop and it obeyed him, his friends started going, uh, who is this in our boat that even the wind and the waves obey him? See that time when Elijah was fed by ravens that were commanded by God? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. For Elijah, God caused the food to multiply to feed Elijah and the widow and her son. You guys remember though how Jesus took a basket with a few loaves of bread, a few pieces of fish, and he multiplied it to feed 5,000 people. Elijah laid on that dead boy and prayed and asked God 
to bring life back into his body. But Jesus and Luke, there's a time where there's another widow with a dead son. Jesus didn't have to cry out to God three times. In fact, Jesus looked at the dead boy and said, young man, I say to you, arise. And poof, that boy came back to life. Not only that, but do you remember when Lazarus was in the grave for three days and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. It says he was dead for three days to the, apart, to the extent where his body stinketh. Say P-U. He was dead for three days and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Not only that, but boys and girls, we know the real miracle, right? Where Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and he was buried in the tomb for three days. And what happened on the third day? He rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, showing, not like Elijah, that he could call out to God and ask for a boy to be raised from the dead. Jesus himself conquered sin, conquered death for all of us. Our final point today is that Elijah was powerful because he was a man who was faithful to God. Jesus was and is powerful because he is God. Jesus is powerful because he is God. Boys and girls, there will be a day in your life where some people will try to convince you that Jesus was just a good teacher. Boys and girls, do you think Jesus was just a good teacher? No. no. There may be a day where someone might tell you, well, no, he wasn't just a good teacher, but he was only a prophet. Boys and girls, do you think that Jesus was only a prophet? No. no. Jesus Christ did all these powerful, amazing things even coming back from the dead, not just because he was a good teacher or because he was a prophet, but because he is the all-powerful God of the universe. And so let's let Elijah's challenge ring in our hearts today. If God is God, then follow him. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, not by calling fire down from heaven, but because he showed us on the cross and in the empty tomb, that he is God of the universe. And he is a good God who loves us, forgives us our sins, and invites us back into his family. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And even though we've had a lot of jokes and a lot of laughs today, we know that you truly are the Lord God. And like the people of Israel on Mount Carmel, we want to testify and say the Lord is God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, God, I ask that you would open their eyes to see and believe the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to pay for our sins on the cross, to be raised back from the dead, that we too could die to ourself and be raised to new life in Christ, that we could be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, where we're not calling fire down from heaven to set ablaze an altar, but that your Holy Spirit would set ablaze our hearts, where we would passionately serve and follow Jesus all the days of our life. God, I especially ask for every boy and girl here that you would let them know you, 
that you would open their eyes to see and believe the truth and that you would keep them from sin, that you would help them to serve and follow you every day of their lives, being faithful to you and leading others to you, knowing the rich blessing that it is to know Jesus Christ and to work for your purposes every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.